Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I don't understand how you live in that house and you didn't change the shower where the murder happened. Yeah. You didn't change the sink. It still had the scratch marks where she cleaned the knife. Like No way. Yes. It's really bad. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Dark House. I'm Hadley Mendelson. And I'm Melissa Fiorentino. We're your co-hosts. If this is your first time listening, in each episode, Hadley and I dig into the backstory of a haunted or otherwise infamous house, and we research who lived there, who died there, and the strange stories that suggest maybe their spirits never left. Last week, we did a deep dive on the Boise Murder House, which gets its nickname from the horrifying murder that took place in the basement in 1987. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, be sure to check it out, but if you have, then you already know that the Boise Murder House is looking pretty rough these days and could definitely use an update. Yeah, immediately after you described the layer of dirt that makes the white stucco look gray and dusty, I said to myself, this house needs to be on murder house flip. Which brings us to today's bonus episode, a very special guest interview with murder house flip host Mikkel Welch. For those of you who aren't familiar, Mikkel Welch is an interior designer and a friend of House Beautiful. He was actually one of our 2020 Next Wave designers and worked on our whole home project in 2021. And as the host of Murder House Flip, Mikkel has redesigned some of the most infamous murder houses in the country. So we've been dying to get Mikkel on the show. And after learning more about the Boise Murder House, now felt like the perfect time to check in with him and pick his brain all about the making of Murder House Flip, which actually just dropped its second season last month. So the timing worked out perfectly. And we got to ask him all of our burning behind the scenes questions and really dig into the production of the show. So we cannot wait for you to hear our conversation with him. Welcome, Mikkel. Thank you so much for being here. How long have we been saying we need to talk to Mikkel? Months? A year? A long time. We're like, we need to make sure that this happens. (laughs) I'm just glad we could find a time to do it. I don't know if I should say it should be fun because it's a dark subject, but... (laughs) There's room for fun. It's going to be fun. I feel like we should have cocktails or something, but... Yeah. So you can't tell us what you're filming currently, but... When did you wrap filming on season two of Murder House Flip? I wrapped filming of Murder House Flip in March of this current year. Okay. But yeah, we filmed for two months, so it was a quick ride. Last year, season one of Murder House Flip, all of the homes were in California. Is that still true for season two, or did you guys go to a new location? We got to expand this time. We had an opportunity to go to Arizona, and so Arizona was the one house outside of California. I guess California is just easier to film in. Yeah. And then there are a lot of crazy people. (laughs) I feel like between California and Florida, we could probably do like three whole seasons. Yeah. This might be something that we wanted to talk about later, but I'm just going to jump right to it. What happened in the Arizona house that made it worth y'all leaving and then jumping ship to go to a different state? 
Oh, that's a good question. We got to do the Jody Ares house. Hmm. They've done like lifetime movies on her. She was a crazy person who drove from <laughs> California and like seduced her ex-boyfriend. Oh. And then, right, right. yeah, then she took his life in the bathtub. Ugh. That was one of the biggest houses that we did in terms of like notoriety. And I hate yeah. saying it like that because it sounds bad. But yeah. that was our premiere episode. And it wasn't that long ago, right? That No, I don't remember the exact year. So this is the thing. Those houses freak me out. So yeah. I don't research them before I go. Because huh. if not, it will drive me crazy. And I tell people all the time, the hardest thing is not working on the show is when I go back to my hotel at night. Because yeah. I'm there in solitude by myself and any anything creaks, I think somebody's after me. So I'm probably the worst person to work on the show because I'm like so scared. But yeah, this that was the biggest house. That and the Golden State Killer. <gasps> we did one of the Golden State Killers. You did? Uh, yeah, he's crazy. He's so horrible. He was. He was like modern day Saw mm-hmm. where he would tie people up and then put dishes on their back and say like, if the dishes fall, then I'm going to kill you. Like so sadistic. It was just crazy town. Murder House Flip is the most interesting and bizarre show I've ever worked on in my life. <laughs> In the very first episode that we did, we were in California in Sacramento, and it was a night episode. And I'm like, why does the call time say 7 p.m.? That's crazy. That It was a woman who killed seven people, and she would, like, take their social security checks. Dorothea Puente, right? Exactly. She would bury them in the house, and that was our very first episode. So I'm like, oh, yeah, let's just jump right into this thing. Yeah. So that was that was an interesting show and a lot was cut out that I wish I could talk about, but it was cut out for a very good reason. Mm, like legal reasons where the owner didn't want it included or? Let's just say legal reasons. We had okay. to cut certain things out because sometimes when you find out too much information, you have to stop. <laughs> so yeah, that was probably the most jarring and it was like the very first episode. And what's interesting to me is some homeowners on our show are really affected by what happened. Then we have Mm -hmm. others who they don't care. Here's the thing. Like, if a house costs $100,000 less than the next door neighbors, there's a reason why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so some of these people just wanted the discount on the house and they don't really care. They're just like, hey, we saved some money. Yeah. But then you have others who... Like in the state of California, I believe the law is five years. And after that fifth year, the real estate agents don't have to disclose what happened in the house unless you ask. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these people on our show in particular, either they didn't ask or they purchased homes like in the 80s and early 90s prior to the Internet. Because most people would say, why don't you just Google Mm -hmm. it? But some of the homeowners purchased, you know, like 1989. (laughs) So there was no Google. And so you just had to really rely on your real estate agent. Wow. It's hard to imagine a time like that. I know, right? (laughs) But it's obvious to us why they wanted you to be one of the co-hosts. But what made you say, I'm doing this? Well, at the time, it was going to be on a network called Quibi that was coming out. It was really like a a, a real big to-do. And they put a lot of budget into the design. When they told me my budgets, I'm like, whoa. And so I really believed in the project. And I think in television, you often have to do things that are out of the box. You know, shiplap is great, 
but sometimes you got to switch it up. And this was a bizarre concept that I'd never heard of. And so I took a risk and I'm glad I took that risk because it ended up being one of the highest rated shows that Quibi had. And then they sold to Roku and on Roku were one of the highest rated as well. So crossing our fingers that season two will do the same thing. So they will give me a season three and I can go overseas. Ooh, that would be exciting. That was going to be one of our questions. If you have a dream house on your list that you guys haven't gotten to do yet, or, but you said you don't like to research them. I was just going to say, like, it's hard to call it like your dream house, but if there's like a location or something that you would want to go to or a a style of architectural home or something, given the region. I would probably want to do, and I don't know, it might have been done already, but in Long Island, New York, uh, what's the name of that scary movie? Um, Amityville Horror? Yeah. Jinx. (laughs) I would love to do like that house. Um, Mm -hmm. I think just because it's iconic and people like really know it. So mm-hmm. I would love to to do that house. That would be a fun one. Yeah. Well, if we meet anybody who has any connections, we'll put in a good word. Please do. Because sometimes it's hard to get the homeowners to agree to it. And I get it. It's like sometimes they just want it to go away. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that as you were talking that this must be a pretty difficult show to produce, at least on the pre-production end of actually, first of all, scouting out the houses, but then you have to make sure that the homeowners even want to be a part of this. And then, like you said, some of them actually have been affected and probably are like, this is a wonderful opportunity, please help us. And then there are others who probably are like, "Mm, this house is fine. Like, we're enjoying it. We get both sides of it, but the pre-production is difficult. Um, They start looking for the houses. Like, I'm sure now my producers are already looking for season three before we even get greenlit for season three. I would say at least a year in advance. They're looking at the houses because the homeowners have to, like, take off of work. And all the behind the scenes that you don't get to see, they have to really plan that out. Because sometimes, like, we're asking people to leave that house for at least 10 days. Yeah. So they have to be prepared for them to take off like, you know, work. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah, all of the home makeover shows, you you forget about those things, but yeah, people have to take off work and schedule around, so it can be tricky. And you guys must have to file permits maybe from time to time? Yes, exactly. Each state is different. Luckily, ours is mostly in California, but all the permits have to be filed and we have to get clearance, which... You already know, like, we have to be really nice because (laughs) we're trying to push things through. But I think that's part of the allure of California and Los Angeles area specifically, just because we can get things like pushed through really quickly, as opposed to South Dakota, North Dakota. It might not be as easy to push it through. Definitely. Yeah. It's so interesting that as a viewer, we're just kind of consuming and being like, this is great. And then when it's over... You're like, okay, well, I have to wait another year, two years for more. And you don't even realize how many little steps it took to get here to the finished product. So that hopefully will make listeners appreciate it more when they get to watch season two. I hope so. Yeah, this is you know has just been challenging in general because we are getting through COVID and sometimes the families get COVID. And oh, wow. We have to shut down production for 10 days. And so it's, it's very tricky, but I enjoy it. I love television. I love the entertainment portion of it. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is just providing people an opportunity to just detach from their everyday life. And I think that's one of the things that 
people love about Murder House Flip. You know, people are addicted to true crime, as you two already know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for us to take something that's so horrific and then spin it and put a positive twist on it, I think that's why we do well. Yeah, definitely. Hadley and I talk a lot about how there are certain homes that are, we'll say, ripe for a haunting. They just have these architectural elements that kind of give off creepiness. But Mm -hmm. we always start our episodes talking about the house, but I feel like we always say something along the lines of, it's a really beautiful house. Or it has all these really beautiful original details. And then we go on to tell whatever tragedy or weird stories that happened there. And it's still a beautiful home. Maybe sometimes it needs work or whatever the thing is. So I think that's something that's really incredible about your show is that you guys step in and actually revive something that deserves to live beyond that bad reputation that it had. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just trying to change the reputation because it's not the house's fault. Right. Yeah. I mean, like the house did nothing. Crazy people just happen to move into the house. So oftentimes a lot of our spaces do, no pun intended, they have great bones and structure. <laughs> so when we walk in, it's like, oh my gosh, this is just like the perfect backdrop if we could just avoid that bloodstain. Yeah, right. So it's just, just, you know, you have to work around that. Yeah. But just to see those transformations and to see how excited people get, even the homeowners who are not, quote unquote, affected by what happened, Mm -hmm. just to see their faces, they get just as excited because they got a brand new space. Yeah. Mm. But it's interesting to me how some of these people live in the house, like the Jody Ares house. I don't understand how you live in that house and you didn't change the bathtub or the (gasps) shower where the murder happened. Yeah. You didn't change the sink. Just for hygiene purposes. Yeah. Yes. Like it still had the scratch marks where she cleaned the knife. Like, no way. Yes. It's really bad. Did you say that to their face? I, I need to know what these people are thinking. I do ask the homeowners, that doesn't bother you? Like, why in the yeah. world would you do that? Like, that doesn't even make sense. You know what happened here. <laughs> So I do say those things, but oftentimes they'll take them out (laughs) so that it's more palatable. Yeah. I don't come off too rude, but you do have to ask those questions. It's like, how do you brush your teeth every day in this bloodstained sink? That's disgusting. Yeah. Is it usually because it's not affordable to replace the whole thing or? I do think a lot of the people, it just doesn't affect them. Like it affects Mm -hmm. everybody differently. Right. And I think they're like, hey, we got a great bargain on this house. We're going to move in here and, hey, we're just going to deal with it. But some of these cases are extreme. Like, that's extreme. Change that sink out. That's nasty. Right. Yeah. And on that episode in particular, for those who are listening, you'll see we brought in a forensic scientist and he sprays the solution, (gasps) which will, it'll turn neon green if there's any type of blood matter. And... When we went to go change the carpet and we were putting in new vinyl floors, we sprayed and it lights up green. That's blood that's still there. I wouldn't even think that that could last that long. But I guess if they never did a full deep clean. Who's in charge of doing that? Like, does the forensic team have to clean up after they've closed down the crime scene or like what happens? I mean, that's kind of up to whoever the homeowner is. Oh, God. So people have to 
clean it. And like, for instance, the and I keep referring to Jody Ayer's house, the carpet was removed. And when we took out the current carpet, there still were fibers from the original carpet. Ew. Yeah. But whoever the contractor is, you know, they're just ripping it up really quick and throwing something down. They're not really thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, I have a million more questions about these houses. But before we get further, I do want to ask you, where do you stand in general on the paranormal? Are you a believer in ghosts? I'm respectful of it. Okay. I don't want to say I don't believe in it, but I do believe in spirits and energy. And there are times when I feel a presence. And one of the things I talked to a medium, Mm. Mm. she told us season one, And this is off camera. She said, I don't want to tell you whether to believe in something, but if you feel it, she said, acknowledge it and tell that whatever it is that you acknowledge it and you need it to go away. And I know that sounds very like hocus pocus, but... Oh, you're in the right place. (laughs) I remember I did an interview with with a woman and she could talk or spirits, I guess. Mm -hmm. She told me there was a presence in my old apartment. And I was like, oh, no, exactly. (laughs) And this is like before the interview. She's like, oh, yes, a grandfather figure. I can see him, but he doesn't mean any harm. But that's not so bad, right? No, no, no. He needs to go like that. (laughs) I I can't deal with that. (laughs) I don't need any presence. And I was like really messed up after she told me that. But when we go into those houses, you do feel an energy. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's a heaviness that I can't describe. In certain houses, I feel it more than others. And when I'm in there, I try to be respectful of it as much as I can. I try to be lighthearted about it. But other times, honestly, the the main thing is I have to be respectful of what happened because somebody really did lose their life Mm -hmm. in the house. But those houses all have an energy. You take that energy in each one of those houses that you go to, you know, where you're in there and it's difficult. I'm not going to say it's easy. Like when I'm doing that, I just have to remember, oh, my gosh, you're getting a paycheck for this. You're getting a paycheck. <laughs> so like, you have to push through this. <laughs> when you go into these houses and you say you feel an energy and some of them are lighter or not lighter, but not as intense. Do you ever pick up on like a kind of personality of, a, of an energy when you go into different ones? Mm, good question. Oh, now that you said that, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I try not to like really delve into it. Mm-hmm. It's like a dark cloud energy that I just feel on me, but I don't try to go deeper. Interesting. Like I just acknowledge it really quickly. I don't even say it out loud because I don't want to freak my co-host out unless she says something to me. And then I'm like, did you feel something? I'm like, yes, I did, but I wasn't going to say anything. But I try not to really go deep into the energy that I feel. It's just acknowledge the presence, keep it moving. And I just try to block it out really quickly and just say, okay, let's design the space and let's get out of here. (laughs) Wow. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Okay, so how much time do you actually spend in each house? Because I would imagine it's a lot more time than we as viewers think it would be. Yes. We are typically in a house for about a week. 
Sometimes it could be a little bit longer, but most of the time, five to seven days, we're in the house and we're there all day. Mm. This season, Sarah is the contractor on the show. It's a little bit different for her because she has to be at the house all day. At least I get to go on shopping trips. <laughs> Sarah has to like physically be there every single day, all day. So for her, I'm sure it's worse. Yeah, yeah. What's the first thing that you do when you do enter that space to kind of do an initial cleansing of that energy that you were explaining? Like, can you crack a window? Is it ever that simple or do you have to do more? It depends. A lot of it, I think, is just trying to make that space feel completely different. Like opening the window is not going to really do anything. (laughs) So for us, it's just like trying to transform that space as quickly as we can and to make it look as different as possible. I think a lot of it is psychological. And so, you know, if we can play a mind trick on you where when you walk into the space, it doesn't look the same or you you can't even remember your old room. That's when you get, I think, the biggest transformation and the biggest cleansing of that spirit. Mm. You know, I would really be intrigued to see what would happen. Like if we did a recap with the families Mm -hmm. to hear their opinion, because I've never followed up with the family. But I would be intrigued to know, is the energy different? Yeah. Or is it? Is there a spirit that's really pissed off that the wall is there now? And like, right, exactly. Worse? I'm sure it's not the case. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I hope it's not the case. No, no. <laughs> what about when you get, wrap up at the end of the day? Do you have any post-filming rituals to cleanse your own energy? I think the biggest thing for me when I go back to my hotel room at night, I try not to think about the day. Um, because that, to me, is the hardest part of the day when I'm alone in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. This is like one of those jobs where I try not to take work home with me until after we're finished. Like once I can think about the beautiful reveal. But up until that point, I don't want to think about that. Mm -hmm. I would recommend listening to our show to distract you, but... I don't think that's going to be quite right for the (laughs) hotel room. Yeah, I might have to do that one like when I'm in the car. (laughs) In the daylight, yeah. 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 No, but that's honestly good practice, whatever your job is. I texted Alyssa last night. It was like, stop texting me past eight. I'm turning off work. (laughs) Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, you you do have to shut it off. But I've been very fortunate. Me and my co-host, we got along really well both seasons. Um, Joelle was season one. This season, Sarah's now the contractor. And we went to dinner basically every single night. We're both away from our family and friends. The two of us, you know, we would hang out. We'll, we'll go grab a drink after work. And, you know, we try to keep it light and airy as much as possible. Yeah. You talked about the houses, some feeling heavier than others. Was there one either in season one or season two that was just by far the heaviest? Yes. I think the heaviest would be from season one. It was Joseph Barcy. Hmm. And I get chills just thinking about this. So it was a little girl who played, I think she played in Jaws. And if she was a child actress. And her father and mother got into a bad argument and the father shot the little girl Mm. and the mom comes out of the hallway and he shoots her. He burned both of their bodies and then he went in the garage and took his own life. That was dark because this family, I really feel it was taken advantage of because they bought the house in the 80s or early 90s, didn't have access to the internet. And the part that freaked me out was the daughter who lived in the room. They're telling us the story of how she had to be like maybe two or three or three years old. And she's laughing 
And the parents go in and they're like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm sitting here talking to Joseph. Uh, well, Joseph is the name of the father who killed the little girl. Oh, I just got full chills. Yeah. When we were doing the episode, this, she's a grown woman now. She does not like to go back to her parents' house. Yeah. We had to do some serious convincing to even get her to do the show. But when they said she was talking to Joseph, I was done. Yeah. It's interesting because season one, I think, was harder because it was my first time doing it. Mm-hmm. Season two, the reveals are bigger, which is great. But I don't want to say I'm desensitized from it, but I know what I'm walking into. Right. So it's a different feeling. But that season one episode, that was probably the hardest one. But so they must have lived in that home then for what, 20 years? Yes. Did they keep it mostly the same? It was exactly the same. Wow. They hadn't changed anything. And we had to do some drastic redesign, put French doors like in the girls' room that led out to they had like mm-hmm. a really beautiful well, it wasn't beautiful in the beginning, but <laughs> the backyard became beautiful. But we had to really think about how to change that. So I think that was probably the darkest of all the episodes, but also that Jody Ares house, I keep going back to it. That one had a a horrible energy in it too. You know, each one is, is different, but they're all rough. But I think that was that was the worst. Yeah. It, does it scare you that she's still like alive and pretty young? And yes, yes, it does. Oh wait, that lady Jody is alive. Yeah, she's like I think I don't know in her thirties or forties, right? Uh oh. Well, I felt better because she got life in prison. Yeah. So, Oof. so she can't get out. But. I think it was easier with the other episodes because all of the killers were, like, deceased. Yeah. But she is the first one that we've had. Actually, no, there are two now who are alive. (laughs) And that scares me because I'm like, Lord forbid they ever get out and, like, I don't know why they want to retaliate against us. But it does make you think. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an uneasiness. But I did look at that and I'm like... I wonder if she'll see this episode. (laughs) I did think about that. Yeah, hopefully she doesn't have, like, prison privileges to watch Roku. Well, I don't know. I feel like they get all type of contraband in those places. I feel like they have Roku in there. I feel like it too. Lord have mercy. I have to go and pray. (laughs) I don't need Jody coming after me. Yeah, that... Yeah, that scares me. That's exactly why in New York I live in a doorman building, so I don't have to deal with that craziness. We talked about how the original bathtub and some of the rugs were in that house. And I feel like that happened multiple times throughout at least the first season. So I was going to ask which of these crazy original fixtures that were still maintained in the home felt the most overwhelming for you guys, either from a dark energy standpoint or from an outdated standpoint where you were just like, why is this still here? Mm, That's a good question. Well, the Golden State Killer home. Gosh, I hate to throw this lady under the bus, but I said it in the episode. (laughs) The exterior of her house alone is hideous. It's like (laughs) tree bark brown. It's real bad. And it has, like, accents of tan. It's, like, real bad. And she's like, well, I can't change it because of the HOA. Oh. Right. And we had to do her, like, patio area. 
And I'm like, how am I going to work with this? Like, this is hideous. Like, we can't paint it. We can't do anything to it. We just have to work with it. And the HOA liked it? Apparently somebody in that office <laughs> wow. is okay with it because everyone's house is brown. It's like literally they're all candles and they're brown. Jeez. We were able to paint the front door, thank God. But the home, it was just, it wasn't a pleasant one to look at. I hope she's not listening. It was pleasant <laughs> once we redesigned it. But she had decent taste because some of the homeowners, the taste is questionable. <laughs> so, you know, they go get a seven-piece set. They slap it in the living room and, you know, they're happy until we yeah. come in and show them a better way to live. Yeah. Well, that's why we have experts like you, thankfully. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite house from season two? Or I guess based on the makeover? So you keep asking me this hard question and I don't want to keep giving you the same answer, but the Jody Ares house is my favorite. <sighs> Just because we got to train. I don't want to give it away. But we got to transform like the bedroom and the bathroom. Mm. And it felt completely different. Um, but another one of my favorites was Alfalfa from the Little Rascals. What was his name? Carl Switzer. This man we used to go on hunting trips. Mm. And he borrowed his friend's hunting dog and lost the dog. Oh no. And he offered like a reward of $20, which was a lot back then. And the person who found the dog was like, actually, I want $50. Uh oh. So he gives him the 50, but then he gets upset and he goes back to his friend who he borrowed the dog from and was just like, hey, I had to get those people $50 to get your dog back. I want my money back. And they get into a scuffle and they end up shooting him. Oh no. That house um, aesthetically, was one of my favorites just because the homeowner, she liked very glitzy things. Like she liked mirror things. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but it was nice to show her a different way to redesign the space without everything being reflective. <gasps> and so I don't want to spoil it, but we got to build like a recording studio. We got to, Ooh, cool. I don't want to tell too much because I, I still want people to enjoy the show, but we got to do some bigger transformations. And that was one of my favorites just because it was really my design aesthetic like mm-hmm. that I love. So that, that was fun. I can't imagine someone wanting to have reflective surfaces everywhere in a murder house because wouldn't you just think everything out of the corner of your eye is like about to pop out at you and nope, it's just the mirror again. Exactly. Like that homeowner, she had like a bedazzled like Joshua tree in the middle of her living. I was like, girl, where did you even get this thing from? But she was very happy in the end when she saw the reveal. Good. But no, it's, I try not to be too judgmental when I go into the houses because again, you know, I've been blessed with the talent and I don't want to judge other people because they don't have that talent. And honestly, with... If they had the talent, I wouldn't have this job. So I'm very fortunate that I get to go into these disasters and help people turn them around. Yeah. You guys originally launched on Quibi, which was a platform designed for sort of shorter form content. So all the episodes were under 10 minutes. Is that different in season two because you're now on Roku? Yes. So now we have full 30 minute episodes, but... What was interesting about season one is even though they only showed 10 minutes, we still had to film the show like a normal show. Mm -hmm. So 
contrary to popular belief, it was still hard mm-hmm. because we still have the same parameters. I actually feel like it's more difficult because you have to really cut and trim yeah. the fat mm. and you can only use what is like really, really good. But now we have 34 minutes and we've also beefed up the true crime aspect. Ooh. So now we don't just like plumble through it in 30 seconds. Like each episode actually starts with the foretelling of what happens before we even pop onto the screen. So for the true crime junkies, they'll appreciate that portion. Can't wait. How many houses did you do this season? Uh, This season we did six homes. Last season we did four, I think it was. I would love to see you redesigned the house in North Carolina from the staircase on Netflix. I don't know if you've watched that, Ooh, but I homework. haven't watched it. You know what? I started to, I, I haven't saved. And you know, as a matter of fact, tonight I will watch that. Um, now that you brought that up, but not if you're in a scared mood. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then I won't watch it tonight. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow morning. Okay. Yeah. In the daylight. I'll watch yeah. it in the daylight. It's too close to, uh, it's dusk right now. We'll pass. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'll send you our episode on the Boise Murder House. That one's very needs an update. Before we move into some design questions, where can they find Murder House Flip Season 2? Murder House Flip Season 2 is now available on Roku. Actually, you can watch Season 1 and 2. So you can watch all of the episodes and send me a message on Instagram and tell me what you think. I always love to hear people's feedback just so I can know, you know, what they think. But I will say when on the show, I'm a very straight shooter and well, that's what they hired me for, <laughs> but I tell it like it is. And it's just, it's, it's different because on cable, they let me, how do I want to say this? I can express myself with strong words. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's just different. They let me, whatever comes to mind, they're like, right. <laughs> I think that's better. You are on the Drew Barrymore show from time to time, right? Yeah. So I signed on with Drew last year. And so she actually brought me in as her resident designer. And so uh, I'm a part of what they call the Drew crew. And it's Mm -hmm. me, Ross Matthews and Pilar, uh, her chef. And so the four of us, including Drew, are like a team. As a matter of fact, I just shot with her last week. I love Drew. She's sweet. She seems amazing. Yeah, she's funny to me. She's one of those people I think forgets that she's a celebrity. Definitely. The first time I met her, we hit it off and she's like, "Um, well, just get my number and text me. And I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, they're just going to give me your number and I'm going to... Where did you guys meet? (laughs) So funny story. I started out... I don't know if a lot of people know this. I started off as a set decorator on the Steve Harvey show. Oh. We'll have Steve Harvey questions after. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) And so on this show, just to give a, a brief explanation, let's say like Martha Stewart is coming on the show to promote a new book. I'm the one who has to build that kitchen that she's standing in. Wow. And then the next segment could be the Property Brothers, and I have to remodel the kitchen. And so they don't have time to remodel those things. So we have to, as set designers, we build out all of those sets. And so while I was on the Steve Harvey show, it worked out in my favor where we would have somebody call out or they couldn't make the flight. And they would say, well, Mikhail, you designed it. Can you do the segment? Oh, wow. And that's kind of how I got 
a good grounding in a talk show world. But mm-hmm. cool. um, my producer from Steve Harvey, he now produces the Drew Barrymore show. And so he asked me to come for a couple of episodes. And I knew something was brewing because they, they kept calling me back week to week to week. And I'm like, OK, wait a minute. <laughs> so now I'm officially a part of the team. That's awesome. That's great. It's fun. I, I love working um, with that team. It sounds really chill. And I love hearing when celebrities are the way they seem. Like Drew definitely seems like somebody oh. who's just so, so normal, so casual. Like warm. Yeah. I have been very fortunate. Every talk show host that I've worked with, like Steve Harvey, amazing. Despite what people have different opinions about celebrities. That man changed my life. He still texts me to this day. He'll ask really? me, ran- yes, the most random question. What does he say? <laughs> I did like these lacquered walls for him. And it's what's funny is he'll have an assistant text me. Then another assistant will text me. And I feel, I guess he feels like they're taking too long because he'll just text me <laughs> himself. And so I'm like, they're asking me. I'm like, I'm on the phone with him now. And they're like, what? <laughs> But um, he'll ask me random design questions on where we purchase things. But I work with him. And then I went to Nashville and worked with Faith Hill. Super oh, sweet. Um, cool. And then I came back to New York and worked on Harry Connick Jr.'s show. Um, but I've been really fortunate. All of my celebrities, I haven't had like divas. I've only had one diva in my life. And I'm not even going to say who it is. But I'm going to try to psychically channel if I can think of who it is. <laughs> yeah, I was going to. You're going to have some predictions later. <laughs> Probably. Well, she was from New York. I'll say that. But oh, sorry, my Siri is talking. That was Siri telling me to shut, shut up. up. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, okay. Question about interior design. Then, how did you get more involved in residential interiors, and how did you know you wanted to pursue that? So that's a really good question. I'm a self-taught designer, and that's one of the things that I'm most proud of and I was most scared of in the beginning. Um, After I graduated from college, I had a marketing degree, didn't know what I was going to do. And my mom said, you need to find your passion. And I'm like, well, that sounds good on Oprah, but what does that mean? (laughs) And she's like, you'll know what it is because it will be something that you'd be willing to do for free. And at the time, I was working at Bloomingdale's, just trying to figure out life after college. And I didn't have a job. And on my break, I looked at the clock and I had spent 40 of my 45-minute break in Crate and Barrel, of all places. Hmm. And I looked at the clock and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even have time to eat lunch. And it was like one of those montage scenes where I start having these flashbacks of like all of these magazines that I had stacked in my living room. All these accessories that I had purchased from various stores and I don't have like clients and I'm not using them in my apartment. And so that was kind of like the one thing that was like bought moment for me where I'm like, Mm -hmm. you need to pursue design. I didn't know what to do. So at that time, Craigslist, this is like 2007, uh, 2006, I went on Craigslist and um, I was looking for a job. And this is like scary Craigslist. Like I could have ended up on one of the shows I'm working on. (laughs) Yeah. And um, there was a guy looking for a design assistant and... What was really scary about it was, I get it now, but our interview was supposed to be at six o'clock. Then he said, can we do seven? Can we do Uh-oh. eight? So I had my best friend come with me and I'm Good. like, wait outside Smart. just in case. Because I'm like, why am I meeting this random man at eight o'clock at night? Yeah. But now I get it. 
Like mm-hmm. sometimes projects run longer. Um, it was the best decision I ever made. I ended up being his design assistant and I learned from him for a full year because it was just the two of us, like how wow. to conduct the consultation, the nuts and bolts of design, not the pretty. Because I feel like the pretty, either you have it or you don't. Yeah. Somebody can coach you along the way. But the business aspect yeah. of what we do, I learned so much in that year. And so I went on Craigslist myself and I put an ad out and I used to buy or donate my service where I would design one free room as long as people paid for the furniture. Mm-hmm. And then um, what would happen is you design one room, they like it, they trust you, they know you're not crazy, and they would bring you to do more rooms. And that's honestly how I build a portfolio. Wow. I wrote a whole paper in college. I think I did 10 of them on Craigslist Killers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> my professor loved it. Loved it. Oh, my gosh. I, well, I'm probably, I, I'm going to write a book about Craigslist because being Craigslist have. You should. You guys should do it together. We, we, yeah, we should do it. The very first television show I ever went on was a show called Design Star on HGTV, which just came back. Oh, yeah. Um, I was on season seven, but I got that because my coworker said, hey, there's a posting on Craigslist for auditions and you should go. <laughs> Let's do a book where every other chapter we'll do a murder and then you do a win and we'll okay. just keep going back there and forth. Go. Yeah, Highs and lows. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. What's the most challenging part of your job? And then what's the most rewarding part of it, would you say? The most challenging part of my job, I think, is project management. Mm. I think interior design has been like glamorized and Mm -hmm. people just see the pretty picture in the end. What you don't get to see are the issues and the hiccups along the way. They don't get to see... Those like, yes, you see those beautiful $10,000 consoles that come in, but you haven't seen like when they arrive cracked and damaged and the client is upset. As a small business owner, um, you try to monitor everything, but sometimes mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. Wrong things get ordered and I have to pay for them because I don't have this big design house. It's like if there's an issue and we ordered the incorrect product in a special order, Mikhail Welch has to pay for that. Right. Mm. So I think that's the hardest part, um, especially with high-end design, because you're waiting five, six months for these items, and then they do sometimes arrive damaged and trying to calm the client down who's been waiting. So I think that's the most difficult part. The most rewarding those to see the clients' faces, like to see their yeah. excitement and that joy, because there's a lot of trust that they had to let go in order to, you know, allow you into their space because it's very personal. You're in someone's home. And, you know, as designers, I feel like we become psychologists, we become, mm-hmm. you know, friends sometimes. And so just to see the excitement in their faces when it all comes together and they're like, okay, you know what? There were some bumps along the way, but it was totally worth it in the end. I think that's that's the biggest payoff for me. Yeah, it is such a personal line of work. Any kind of transaction or professional or business thing that happens within the context of a domestic space, I've always been fascinated by just because it's such a unique position to be in where you're melding both the most personal thing possible with something that's very not personal. It's, you know, something you're getting paid to do. Very much so. And the great part of it is those, once they have your trust, you're good. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like this question is inspired by me remembering a really hideous haircut I once had. Mm -hmm. Do you have any design phases or mistakes that you've made that still haunt you? Oh, yeah. You're always going to have that. Um, I think the biggest one that I have is actually a redo I'm doing right now. This was like in my very, very early beginning stages of design. Um, My best friend let me redesign his house. Now, Anyone who knows my design aesthetic is not even going to believe this. He's an open loft, mm-hmm. and I painted one wall red, one wall <laughs> orange, and one wall yellow. Oh, my God. I want to see this. <laughs> it's just bad. But I didn't know any better. I had a lot of influence from the designer I was working with who loved to use a lot of color mm. at the time, and I was just trying to figure it out. But I remember... Me making that wrong decision and putting these colorful walls in his space. And he's lived with that. And so I got to, I'm in the process of redesigning his space as we speak. And so he's getting a full remodel. And I feel like I I need to, I needed to do that for him because I put him in that predicament. And I'm like, you never complained about this. What does he say about it now? Was he like, I'm, I've been silently suffering or he just never really noticed? He never really paid in any attention, but now he's like, I do like this a lot better. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you would like this one a lot better. Yeah. There is something about like, I remember when I was in college, just the amount of color and I was just very bold would be a generous way of putting it. But now I've learned to temper that a little bit and use color with a little more restraint. Yeah. And, you know, and color is not bad, you know, and no. I, and what's great and what does the one thing I love about working on Murder House Flip and on television in general is that I do have to flex the color muscle. And mm-hmm. for me, it's a challenge because mm-hmm. I can do neutrals in my sleep. Yeah. But um, color, it's a, it's a different beast. And I have to, like, really sit down and think about, like, how do I do this? And make it look great, but at the same time still look like me. Yeah. It's um, it's harder to do, but when you can get it right, it's especially beautiful. And a little more, I don't know. There's a magic to a unique color combination that still looks classic. Or not classic, but just timeless. Or you look at it and you're not yes. overwhelmed visually. Exactly. Yes. Like when I grow up, I want to be like Jamie Drake. Like he puts yeah. those rooms together in such an eloquent manner and he uses a ton of color, but he uses restraint at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the biggest design mistake you see people making? Mm, the biggest design mistake. Oh gosh. A furniture set. Stop buying mm-hmm. them. They're, they're just bad. Stop doing it. Uh, okay, who's your dream celebrity client, alive or dead? Mm, I really want to work with Gabrielle Union. She just seems like she would be fun. Yeah. And so um, she and Dwayne Wade, like I would love to redesign their space. She has really good fashion style. So I feel like her interior yes. style would reflect there as well. I think so too. I have one lifeline connection to her. So hopefully I can make that happen. <laughs> yeah. What's a design trend you wish would die? Oh, a design trend I wish would die. Hmm. I'm going to offend a lot of people right now. I'm over velvet right now. I'm just like... That's fair. I'm just over the whole like 
velvet and brass combination sofa where it's like the legs are brass mm-hmm. and then it's like it's the velvet so I'm so tired of that yes yeah, so it's like glam over the top like. yeah I'm just like okay let's not do that anymore please mm. Time for a refresh. Yes. <laughs> so before we let you go, because we've taken up a lot of your time, what can you tell us about your new studio in New York or any other upcoming projects you have? Yes. So I have a new studio called The Blank Slate, and um, it's a photography studio. And the reason I created the studio, um, it's a fully furnished studio. And so I have a living room, a dining area, a kitchen and a bedroom. And I got the idea because like when I was starting out with my business, I didn't have a place to take photos and I didn't have clients where I could actually take photos of their work. And for me, I'm like, I need to create something where people can come, create content, they can bring accessories to help embellish the space and make it feel more like them. But I wanted to give people a blank slate where they could come in and they can take photos, they can take headshots, they you know can take um, engagement photos and whatnot. And so I just opened up um, my studio in Queens and I'm very fortunate. Like I have a view of the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building. Um, so I'm very excited about it. Wow, congrats. That's awesome. It feels full circle to your set design. Yes. You know, it, it really is. It does give me that set design aspect that I need. Um, as a set designer, I get very excited about the art of illusion and the way we're able to make things look expensive without spending a ton of money. And so even though I did spend a ton of money on this space, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I just, for me, it, it's, it's just an opportunity to let other creators come in and, you know, create content. Amazing. I have one more fun question and then I'll Zip my lid. Okay, I'm going to make a PG version of FKM and we're going to do Kiss, Mary Kill. I'm throwing Alyssa for a loop too because she didn't know I had this question, but Uh I literally just thought of it. Okay. White boucle chair. Ooh. The Ultra Fragola mirror, which is that pink neon squiggly mirror that all the Instagram girls have in their houses. You know the one? Okay. Or the Barcelona chair, the like black sling leather and then the chrome and be careful because i own one of these items okay just kidding be real so i will i want to marry the boucle chair (laughs) but i also feel like in five years because i have several of those boucle chairs i feel like we're going to run into a situation where everybody's going to get tired of the boucle chair Mm -hmm. where that barcelona I think I need to marry Barcelona because that's iconic. It's a staple. Yes. Okay. I hear uh, the wedding bells. Yes. I would marry Barcelona. Boucle would come next. And then, you know, that mirror I'm not even going to buy because it's pink. <laughs> so it you're killing it. Yeah, we'll kill the. Sorry. We'll kill that. We'll kiss Boucle and we'll uh-huh. marry Barcelona. I did not think I would say that. but I know. I love the mirror, but I'm also like, you know, it's... Too, too many people have it now. So it kind of lost its magic. You yeah. could reupholster the boucle chair eventually, right? I, yes, you totally can. And most of them have that like tubular style to them yeah. for the most part. And they're cozy. 
Like that's a nice, I you want to marry something cozy, right? But I guess you're not. You're going to marry the thing that's a little angular and hard to sit yeah. on its lap, but that's okay. I want stability. I just want yeah. that one that's like, it's been there. I know it's not going anywhere. Uh-huh. It's not going to step out on me. Yeah. And so Barcelona like has tried and true and it's always been there. And I can yeah. reupholster it in a boucle if I like. True, true. true. Love that. Okay. Best of both worlds. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Mikhail. Where can our listeners follow you and keep up with all of your projects? Yes, of course. Um, you can follow me at Mikhail Welch on Instagram. Oh, and of course, Murder House Flip. Yes, you got to watch that on, on Roku, season one and two out now. Perfect. Who can I pay to see the cutting room floor footage? Because I really want to. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that that's the the good stuff. <laughs> Seriously. That's the good stuff. <laughs> we'll have to offline about that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what a gem. Just truly <sighs> the best. He was so funny. As expected. I mean, we knew this was going to we've been looking yeah. forward to this and we like we said we've been dying to talk to him and knew he was a perfect fit for Dark House, but just actually finally getting to hear about what goes into making this show because I think so many people, ourselves included, were excited when we heard, oh my gosh, somebody's finally making Murder House Flip a a reality. Um, But even just as a viewer, even us, and we have experience doing production on our show, I still couldn't fathom all of the little steps that go into each episode of the show. And so hearing about that, was mind blowing on its own, but then hearing more of what they found. I know. I know. Well, I have to say, I'm really excited for the fact that it's not just 10 minutes anymore because we get to see more of that stuff. Like you said, there's so much great material that goes into it. And the fact too, that they're on set at the house for at least a week is there's got to be so much good content. I wish we could watch all of the, we could like be in the editing room and see all the uncut footage too. Internship? We could have like a little summer internship. Right. <laughs> Job shadow. Yeah. <laughs> Season three. Um, also, that story about Judith Barcy. Well, it wasn't really about her. Unfortunately, the ghost, it sounded like, was the horrible father, Joseph Barcy. It makes you wonder that some spirits stuck in the, in be- I don't know, in between, whatever we want to call it. Purgatory, right? Sure. Yeah, I guess. Do they get stuck because they did the wrongdoing? But then how are you, how do you get out? What's that process look like? But that, yeah, that was really interesting to me because that was one of the like early true crime stories that I was fascinated with. I think because I remember seeing her in movies and being like really devastated by it. But another thing that kind of caught my attention too is when he said that he feels almost sorry for the houses because it's not the house's fault. It's the people who are evil or maybe they're not evil, but something brings them to do something evil and they snap in the house. And I was just thinking about in different novels I've read or nonfiction things where it does seem like it's the house that makes people snap or is evil. And it just made me wonder like maybe, okay, for our listeners out there, if you guys can think of any examples of a time where you feel like there was something wrong with the actual physical house that was making its inhabitants like go Looney Tunes, then let us know. Cause I'm curious about that. Well, what are the odds that any of the murder houses featured on murder house flip were actually haunted, right? 
And we yeah. all know that the murderers were being affected by the haunting at the house, drove them crazy, drove them to commit such crimes. Yeah, or cursed or something. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, So interesting. But yeah, if anybody listening has examples off the top of their head of a story where it was something about the house drove somebody to do something. Or like seemed mysterious already before the people moved in. Why am I blanking? Uh, well, I know of a fictional example, which is from The Haunting of Hill House, but I want to know of one where it's not. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, it's probably because it's fictional that they can kind of use the symbolism of a house that's bad. And even in that case, it's personified because what did he say? He was like, the bones are great. And he said, I hate to use that pun or something, but it's true. We always kind of personify buildings. And I think we talked about that too with Talk Thompson in episode one last year. Okay. If you could go, it, is there any house that's like a murder house that he mentioned that you couldn't get paid to go inside of? Maybe the very first house that they did season one premiere episode with everything buried in the yard. Oh, Dorothea Puente house. Yeah. Just, I don't know. The stuff in the yard bothers me a lot. I can't explain why. Well, because it's also in the middle of like downtown Sacramento. So you'd think someone would have noticed something awry, which they did. But yeah, and it's a very unassuming home and yard. And she soiled the land is what I'll say about it. Yeah. So, but I mean, they redid it. I I have hope that the house itself is doing better. But yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I'm curious about the episode about the Golden State Killer, just because I feel like that case kind of was cold for so long and just a huge mystery. And then all of a sudden it picked up traction when Michelle McNamara wrote the book about it before she passed away. And all of a sudden, like now there's all this stuff coming out and now they also just redid one of the homes. I don't know. That has some, I'm sure is like a really sad energy. I know we were talking about the differences between like an evil energy versus a sad one. And I feel like that one would just be sad. Oh, definitely. But on a somewhat lighter note, the Carl Switzer house, the way he was describing her bedazzled items was just so funny to me. Oh, I know. I know. The Joshua tree with like, <laughs> like jewelry what? on it. I was like, I don't even know how to visualize that. Incredible. It all sounded amazing to me. So if you guys agree and you're interested, be sure to check out Murder House Flip. Seasons one and two are available on Roku now. Thank you to Mikkel for hanging out with us and sharing all of those great stories. If you like what you hear and you have any feedback for us at all, if you enjoyed this interview with Mikkel and you want to hear more guest interviews or if there's somebody you think we need to get on the show, we are all ears. Feel free to DM either of us on Instagram or you can DM our podcast account at Dark House Podcast. We do read the DMs. A little slow to respond, but... We are seeing them. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode. 